especially since they, you know, they did the usual 15 minute at a time and that two and two hours, 15 minutes, two hours, 20 minutes, I decided to call it. And the guy's like, we're about to board. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then half an hour later, four hours. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello and welcome to episode 283 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen, how are you? Healthy. Healthy. For now. For now, yeah. Yeah, you guys, are you guys like stocking up? You got your toilet paper, been to Costco? I have my four years of toilet paper. <laughs> we, have, we don't have Costco up here. No? There, no, the nearest Costco is somewhere down in Massachusetts. That's not yeah. true. There's one in Nashua. Is there now? Yeah. There's, it's, been, Whatever, it's, it's, it's been there forever. Has it? I, I think I remember like, it was like an hour away. So I think, I think maybe then the, uh, the Massachusetts one might be closer just because of where they are on the highway. Yeah, depending, depending on where you are. But no, there is one in Nashville because, you know, that's where all the mass go to shop tax-free. Oh, yeah, makes sense. So, so wait, um, wait, do you have a, do you, Seth, do you have a Costco membership? No, never have. Okay. <laughs> that would be a gating factor. <laughs> yeah, you are not going to Costco even if you had one. No, I could buy a membership. <laughs> oh, man. Trader Joe's has good toilet paper. Do you have those? Uh, there's a Trader Joe's down the way. We have, I buy my toilet paper at the grocery store here. The pricing is right. The texture is right. I prefer, I enjoy its feel. <laughs> one ply or two ply? Uh, it's a one ply, but a quilted one ply. It's an interesting mm-hmm. sort of hybrid choice. It comes from, uh, it's an actually old habit at this point. I can't believe we're talking about this on the show. Uh, our old <laughs> house in New York had a hundred year old piping plumbing or retrofit once or twice, but very old piping and plumbing and the two ply kept clogging it. So we had to find a comfortable one ply so that I didn't have to keep uh, snaking the toilet oh. and have just stuck with that brand since uh, new place, similar age. And I don't feel like, you know, testing that uh, experience again. So it was for like self-preservation, really? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. I understand. Uh- <laughs> and and it seems that we are curious. I have plenty. I had actually I buy it at Target or at the grocery store, depending on who's having a sale that week, um, and had bought two jumbo packs just because we have enough place to store. But I bought that in late January. Yeah. So we have plenty, but not not because of this, just because that's how I buy it normally. Yeah, I mean, that's typically what we do at Costco. It's like you buy like, you know, your two month supply and you're good for a while. <laughs> just, yeah, about two months, typically. Yeah. Uh, it- I, I will also point out that we're familiar with the usage rates because we both work from home anyway so the whole like <laughs> self-isolation thing doesn't change our consumption pattern so i mean should we just pivot and go to the japanese model and all get bidets <laughs> i am not a fan i'm, I'm not is, i am not I, I do feel that it's more of a female thing to truly appreciate the bidets yeah. although i will give uh and i have my wife credit when uh earlier this evening as we were pr- finishing up dinner she says is it true that men really don't wash their hands in the bathrooms I was like, you know, as a general, yes. She's like, mate, is that why we take so much longer in the bathrooms than men? Because we're actually washing our hands? It has nothing to do with anything else? And I had to give her some credit for that. It might be right. Uh, you know, from what I've seen, uh, yeah, men are terrible at washing their hands in the restroom. Um, I mean, I've told you guys the story of the gentleman that I saw at O'Hare wearing a full face mask uh, who used the urinal. And, and not just a face mask. He used, like, a painter's face mask, like, you know, the, 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 with the two big nozzles. Uh, on each side, and and then use the restroom and proceeded to walk out without washing his hands. Hmm. So, you know, it's like the Darwin Awards out there, folks. Let's uh, keep it simple, stupid. Um, I, I, you know, I think uh, one of the things that we need to talk about is just general uh, airline cuts. So that's kind of what this coronavirus scare um, and uh, passenger uh, lull, I would call it, or depression. I would call it is is really triggering, right, Seth? Yeah, I mean, we're we're recording this on Tuesday evening, and sorry we're late again this week. We had another uh, guest plan with special thoughts and a reason that we're late, but that fell through. So, oopsie. Um, but you know, one of the I'll say benefits of being a little late to the game this week is that we've actually had the experience of the J.P. Morgan Aviation conference today mm. and it was a virtual event so that should goes to show you just how uh serious the situation is a investor conference where typically they bring the senior executives in from all the airlines and each give them an hour to or half an hour to present to the gathered groups and then they do a meet and greet and sort of private meetings and a dinner it's a whole big thing quality boondoggle uh was done for airlines by teleconference today so if that's not a metaphor i don't know what is and 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 the news from that teleconference was uh not the most cut, encouraging cut, 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 cut. 
um, everybody except for Alaska Airlines that spoke today, um, and it was the U.S. carriers that you'd think of minus Southwest, all spoke. So we'll say JetBlue and Bigger minus Southwest um, all spoke today, all said that uh, they were cutting service. And most of them had announced it in some way, some form. Mm-hmm. Um, Alaska Airlines is not cutting for March and April, but currently has a 3.5% cut in May. And that's sort of the telling thing to me. It's like they're cutting for May. They, they see the future demand not recovering for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, United is, uh, Scott Kirby said he thinks it's 18 months before demand returns to its pre-coronavirus level. So call it like whatever we were at the end, end of December. Yep. Um, but he also said SARS was a 14-month cycle, and they're, they're extending it a little bit. So, and and I, if if I was to look at what like IATA has put out from SARS, their version of the chart came back much quicker. So I don't know if it's that United was slower or that the industry was really slower, and IATA is sort of lying about the numbers or pushing a version that they liked. Um, but th- there's some interesting things to consider there. But everybody's cutting. Uh, American pulled ten percent or seven and a half percent out of domestic going forward, uh, and a bunch of international cuts. And the international cuts are going longer term. That's mm. a really interesting thing to me. They're, this isn't, you know, a week or a month even at a time anymore. You know, going back to Foz's comment from a few weeks ago where there's, where he said they're cutting a month a week at a time. Like with each passing week, another month disappears off the schedule. That's really where we're at now. Mm. And, and, and so. is, is that simply, you think, lag uh, of demand shooting back up? If, if the coronavirus was to disappear, do the airlines see those months as uh, the time it would take to get demand back to where it was? Yeah, it, they, they just they don't see the demand coming back. A, a lot of references. It was also interesting. There's some difference of, of opinion. There was a lot of things that were similar, but some differences of opinion. Um, a lot of comments about the travelers we're still seeing today are all still spring break travel that was previously booked and that people don't want to throw away. Mm. But that future bookings aren't happening as much, aren't happening as much. Yep. Um, so that's part of it. There's also the question of can you induce travelers by dropping fares enough? And Scott Kirby from United's basically said you know, in, in a somewhat dismissive manner said, I didn't even realize there was another theory that people could still be convinced to travel if it was cheap enough because they were worried about traveling because they wanted, didn't want to get sick. Um, at the same time, Alaska Airlines in their briefing said, you know, we ran, said something to the fact that we ran a sale last week just to test the waters and people bought tickets mm. and, you know, more than we expected. So mm-hmm. what's interesting, you know, I was looking at just some airfares, given how empty, allegedly empty flights are, airfares are still high. Yeah. And were you looking close in or far out? How, close how in. far out were you looking? Close in. You, Less than seven days. Yeah, you would think, like, if you've got empty flights now, you'd start filling them, but they're not. So the one comment that I think it was American, I think Doug Parker said, they did a similar thing where they released some of their yield controls, mm-hmm. but it was still focused on greater than seven days out. So, so they're still not – which is interesting because I think the theory there is business travelers aren't traveling, and if they do decide to travel, they'll pay whatever it costs. Mm-hmm. So they're still trying to pick up some of the – uncertain leisure travel, but not willing to give up business revenues where it might happen. But is that short-sighted, right? Like I, I, pretty much every com- company that I know of has some sort of no travel policy in place at this point. Right. And is that short? So it doesn't matter what the fare is. Yeah, exactly. So, but, so now are you better off dropping fares? So any people who, who can still travel jump on the opportunity, or do you just hold out for the occasional person to pay walk up fares? They're choosing the latter, and I think they. And so that's the big question: is has the market really changed? Has anyone? Ha, will people buy these fares just because they're cheap? And I think inside seven days, the answer is typically no. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, I'm looking. I've been tracking a fare uh, for a trip that I'm almost certain won't happen, but that I have to buy for anyways. And it and it's in mid-April, end of April, the 28th. Um, and it only just now dropped. $30. And yeah, that's the basic economy. So it didn't even drop at all. Never mind. And it's still, it's a, a nonstop transcon at $250, $255, which is high for high for six weeks out, high for the market and high for um, what I want to pay. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's the thing, right? There's, there's a story I saw on Twitter earlier that someone was in a pretty much empty seven eight seven ten between San Francisco and Newark. Yep. And it's like, what, like, why would you even fly that empty versus dropping the fare and getting people into those seats? Well, the, the argument is from United that dropping the fare wouldn't fill the seats anyways. But if you, the argument from Spirit was, oh, no, we can fill seats. We, we are filling seats. They kept an 83% or 82% load factor. It just said that they dropped their yields. Well, which is but, but with United, right, this is what I don't understand. If you can get 10 people in those seats, it's some revenue versus nothing. Once that plane pushes back, it's spoiled inventory. 
Yes. And what they what I, I've been watching is pretty much on every flight you can get award inventory for any class, but they will not drop fares. Yes. So they're I mean, willing they're willing to let you burn miles, which doesn't actually give them any cash, but they won't actually take cash. That takes the takes the debt off the books. Take, sure. But at a time when they're cash in a cash crunch, wouldn't you want the cash? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do find it interesting. So I'm looking two weeks out because I I have to come back to Montreal in two weeks. So the last week of March, uh, what is that? The thirtieth, not the two weeks, three weeks. The thirtieth through the the second, and I'm looking at fares. And coach is anywhere from four hundred dollars uh, round trip to nine hundred dollars round trip. None of the timings are great all requiring pretty much double connections because they've killed off all of the single connection flights. So that's where we're at with that. And, that, and, so this, and that's the demand approach to this problem, right? They're, they're trimming, they, what they've said is they're trimming multi-frequency routes and they're tri- trimming off-peak days. No. And except Alaska. Alaska's not trimming anything, but they don't fly to Canada or to Montreal. So yeah. I'm screwed there. Right. Uh, they do fly to Canada, obviously. But anyway. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, like I don't want to take a two-hour CRJ from Chicago to uh, Montreal, um, but maybe I'll be forced to do that. I don't know. Is it a 550 at least? No, it's a, it's a 200. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, I mean, uh, on the top of these, this, comp, this, this call today, right, there's been other cuts around the world. Um, it, Italy's basically been cut off from uh, surrounding, from neighbors, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, Malta, I believe, was one of them. Uh, Zur- uh, Switzerland and Austria closed their borders with, with Italy. Um, it, it, interesting times we're living in. And you know, Italy went from we're isolating 17 million people, about a quarter of the population in the north, to everybody in the span of like 36 hours. Yeah. Lufthansa went from we're cutting about 25% of our schedule to we're cutting half of our schedule in less than 48 hours. Delta went from we're trimming a few things uh, and whatnot, making some serious announcements uh, to all of it. All of Italy is closed off between Friday. They had announcements Friday, Sunday and Tuesday. Mm. Um, I mean, just the number of different things that's going on. I'm just reading through the list. Singapore Airlines is now saying they're up to 13 percent cut overall through their network as of Monday morning. And that was an additional 6%, almost doubling what they had previously announced for cuts. And those are going through May. Uh, Korean is down 80% on international capacity. Hmm. Air New Zealand is down 10% overall all the way through June, including 26% to Asia. Um, just reading through my list here of things. JetBlue is, of the airlines cutting in the U.S., so excluding Alaska, is down 5% and probably will cut more based on some of the internal memos they've been sending around. Alitalia is screwed uh, because all of Italy is closed. Lufthansa is also grounding its 380s. Some One report had them flying at a 35% load factor on the 380s. 35%? Yeah. Cathay is grounding its, or has grounded, or suspended half of its destinations, 50 of 106 destinations by the end, by mid-March, including nothing to Japan or Korea, and almost nothing into China, mainland China. <laughs> um it's and and cutting eighty percent of its frequencies. Uh, what's the other? Oh, Singapore's also not Singapore. Qantas is grounding almost all of its A three eighties as well, as it makes major cuts. So, you know, the A three eighty was a huge, in theory, opportunity in super crowded airports to move tons of people. But it turns out if no one's move, if you don't have tons of people to move around, uh, it's a terrible idea. Oh, I don't. I don't know if you guys saw this. Cathay is actually now running um, flights just for cargo in and out of China. Commercial passenger aircraft, passenger planes yeah. with only cargo on them. Yes, I did see that. And what's the what's the goal there? Is it just the only cargo? Just keep the but. But it, what's the goal with keeping the, those planes in the air? Is it just because I and mean, they have seven forty seven, you know, freighters? I think there is demand for minimal minimal amounts of cargo that used to fly on those planes, anyways. Mm. So I mean, you know, a couple containers or equivalent thereof that goes on a smaller plane is you're not going to run a full cargo carrier for that, even if you did like. A flag stop sort of thing. Yeah. It just doesn't work right. So, I mean, I, when I think about this, like, just you're, you're talking out numbers that are greater, in some cases, greater than 50% of capacity cuts. Yeah. How do you how do you run an airline um, where you're not actually running an airline? You're running a almost a point-to-point charter service. Like, that's that's what some of these carriers are doing at this point. Yeah. And I should point out, we didn't even mention any of the Chinese carriers. So Yeah, I mean, the Chinese carriers have kind of, I mean, they've cut capacity massively. What's What's the numbers there? The number I've seen, let me I'll pull it up while we're talking here. The 80% was typical 
Um, and that was 80% of flights canceled. It's unclear what the loads were on the flights that were still operating, but I would assume very, very low. Uh, Cirium, C-I-R-I-U-M, which is a the data arm of Flight Global, which is a major news journalism, whatever. What the hell? This, there used to be good data on this page. They moved it. Um, <laughs> launch resolution. Here we go. Uh, it's a different link than the last one I clicked on. Sorry, from the same person. They basically have been analyzing day by day what the cuts look like. And so the data they're showing here is between January 1st and March 10th, the number of scheduled flights domestically within China was 900,000. <laughs> a hair under 500,000 operated. So 45% reduction in what operated. And that's, uh, they removed more than a quarter of the flights from the schedule as of this week. I mean, it, where it, when it peaked, they had removed 80%. I mean, it was insane. Um, and even of the 80%, you know, if it was, I'm looking, I'm doing math in my head now. So there was 13,000 total flights, 10,000 were removed, 2,000 flew and 1,100 canceled. And who knows how many people were on those. That was mid-February. In uh, early March, when the government stopped the quarantine, stopped the, with a severe quarantine and or told airlines they had to start flying again, depending on who you believe, yep. um, the numbers increased. And so, you know, March 1st, they flew 6,000 of the 12,000 flights with the other 6,000 either removed from the schedule or canceled on day of travel. And then that number has started to drop again, um, obviously day by day and whatnot, depending on a variety of things. but. Uh, not good. <laughs> and on the international side, it's similar. There are about half have half the flights did not fly and the vast majority have just been removed from the schedule. And there, again, we don't know load factors, but I'm going to go ahead and assume they're pretty low. So, so it comes back to my question. Like, how do you run? How do you run these airlines? Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you make any money doing this? You don't. The ones that are cut this significantly, this severely can't be making money, right? There's, and I also I really love the term voluntary uh, unpaid leave. <laughs> just put that out there. I, I don't know what that means other than like you don't you no longer have a job. You, you, I guess you still have a job. We're just not paying you to do it, so you shouldn't go find a new a different job. But I, I don't I don't understand. Um, we'd like you to come back eventually, but it's not quite a furlough, I guess. <laughs> um, it's like jury yeah, duty. You call in in the morning to see if they need you. A little bit. I mean, they, these guys, the airlines are expecting people to take, you know, a couple months off, not a couple of days or hours, but yeah. But here's, I mean, you know, there's a couple of things that, that I've been thinking about with this is a, this is a horrible time for a union to start negotiating. Sure. And we have some union negotiations on the t- table, but more, more interestingly, this puts AA in a really bad spot, having just negotiated with a bunch of their unions. Yeah. And it just, it just makes me wonder of how this is going to play out and will AA end up in bankruptcy again? But, I think it's probably too early to oh, absolutely. go there. It's too early. But but the other thing that I don't get is this is a cyclical industry. Anyone who's watched the industry for more than a few years knows. No, no. Doug Parker told us that airlines are never going to lose money again. This is a cyclical <laughs> industry. Anyone who's a competent leader in this industry would know it's a cyclical industry and would be prepared for, for such an event. In their defense, and you know, I'm not always want to defend airline CEOs, but, and who knows if they're really telling the truth, but every one of them who spoke today also talked about, we had the 9-11, we had the financial crisis, we've seen these things happen, we are prepared for them. Now, just how prepared they are and what that actually turns into, who the hell knows? But all of them claim that they're ready. Um, Parker, there's actually another interesting statistic. Parker claimed they have the best balance sheet in terms of cash and liquidity. Spirit Airlines put a chart together showing American at the far right end of the graph with the smallest. Um, but their version, it was, and it's absolutes versus percentages. American talked about having the most just straight dollars, but also as one of the biggest airlines, that number as a percentage of his trailing 12 months revenue was actually relatively small, while airlines with smaller amounts of cash, but also smaller operations had larger percentages. So that was an interesting little game. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. You know it. <laughs> um, well, so, okay, going back to your point about what Parker said, um, does American have a position uh, to stay afloat without a bankruptcy here uh, if they're not if they're not flying flights, right? Of, of all the internet, of all the big three, right? Delta, United, American in the U.S. American had the smallest international footprint. Um, Asian, Asian footprint. I would even argue international. Aside from London, they have they have a very small international network. Even South America's contracted for them over the last few years. I would have to look at the ASMs, and I don't know for certain. I, I know the I know the Asia side. I don't know the other two. But so let's just let's just take Asia. So they they have now cut 
a large chunk of that small More portion. Than that. Yeah. How how do you how do you recover from that? I mean, let's say travel doesn't pick up again for another two three months, um, and that's and that's conservative. No, that's a that's optimistic. Yeah, based on what the airlines are saying. Yeah, American canceled all of mainland China through the end of the scheduled season, which is October. <sighs> They're gonna not restart Hong Kong until July, and then only three days a week, if I remember correctly. I mean, I got to be honest with you, Seth. This doesn't give me warm and fuzzies about the airline industry in the United States. You know, in the United States or globally? I mean, this well, globally, I'm, I'm, I'd be more worried globally. Honestly, the airlines in the United States at least have a, each have you know a billion dollars or more to sit on. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, you can burn a billion dollars pretty quickly if you're an airline. But they've all got a billion dollars. Some of them have many billions of dollars. United just took out a two billion dollar loan. Delta says it has five billion in cash. I don't remember the number American used, but it was in the several. JetBlue was over one. Alaska was over one. Spirit was over one. They they have some money. Fuel costs are going down, which again. Not enough to offset the losses but of revenue, but, you know, it's happening. Uh, the real question there is, is it an 18-month thing or is it a 12-month thing or is it a 9-month thing or is it a 6-month thing? But two or three months is not is not what it is, and they all are planning for that. Yeah. Uh, Kirby rattled off numbers of not what he expects, and he, he said this three times on the call. It's actually really funny. He's like, this is not our projection. This is what we're planning against, uh, of what they are planning against for demand and revenue numbers for the next through the rest of the year. And he expects it to still be, they're saying 70% down next month. And I can't remember if that was for March or for April, but 70% drop in revenue for the month. And it only slowly ticks back up to being 20% down year over year in December is how they're budgeting to determine what they're going to build out and how they're going to operate their network. They are, and he, and he said, this isn't the worst case scenario we've built, but that's the one they're working against. Okay. Well, and, um, and so the, the interesting thing, though, is I, I don't think the U.S. carriers are the ones that are in trouble. It's the international carriers. Yeah. I mean, maybe some country. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about international carriers. Cafe. That come, that's the first one that really comes to mind. Yep. You and I have both asked the same person the same question about that. Um, actually, Danny Lee, he's been a guest. I had him on a few months ago now, uh, who's a journalist based out in Hong Kong. He's He promises that they're fine. Okay, they're sitting he on. They're sitting, they've on got cash. In, they're, they're sitting on some cash, and they've got deep pocketed the Swire Company investors. He says will pump some more cash in if they need it. They, that's a pride play in some ways, so they want to keep the airline running. Yep. Okay, so I would believe that. Yeah, sure. Why not? So let's that's talk. Let's company. talk about Alitalia then, a carrier that was already on the rock. Should have should have been dead. Yeah, uh, it's definitely dead now, Jim. Yeah, they're a zombie um, at this point. Who knows? I mean, I'd actually be interested to see if they had like it's too late now. I would wonder if they had any planes flying. Uh, this today I did see some in the air, so long haul. Um, but I didn't. I don't know if I. I didn't look at any short haul stuff. Yeah, I mean, they're at this point. They they had to shut down their Milan hub as of uh, Monday morning or Sunday morning. I forget which. And then on top of that, they said we're going to move everything to Rome, and then Rome shut down a day later. So uh, not great news. Yeah. What about Korean? I think that's the other one that's a risk. Yeah, the the Korean, both Korean and Asiana are at risk. Yeah, agreed. Uh, both, and I think Korean has broached the subject of possible state aid, government help for keeping itself running. I mean, Asiana was probably weaker going into this, but just sold, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and and, and I mean, okay, so Korean and then Singapore. I mean, they're going to be backed by the government, correct? Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, Singapore's definitely I, I just want to throw one other thing out there. I remember now uh, the one of the low cost carriers in Korea bought another one. Recently, and this is sort of a much needed consolidation from an industry that definitely overbuilt itself. But they announced the deal well before this all happened and then suspended it and renegotiated the purchase price and like cut it by 30% because of the drop wow. in demand. But the, the demand or the, the routes that those low cost carriers operate are Korea to mainland China and to Japan. <laughs> those, those are all markets that are facing significant cuts slash suspensions slash government regulations that say, no, really, you can't fly here anymore. Yeah, yeah. You can't sit with us. Um, <laughs> it, so like buying an airline that literally has a route network, it's not allowed to operate. doesn't really seem like a great plan right now, financially. What about Norwegian or Virgin Atlantic? Norwegian cut its routes 15% they announced today and through June, I think. Um, so bad news. They're going into the peak summer season that they're having to keep these cuts going there. They are one of the airlines that definitely is more seasonally focused. That's, that's where I would really be looking the year round airlines probably will do okay mostly because they're not so dependent on the summer peak to win yeah right to fund next year it's the ones that need a strong summer to make it through the next year where i'd be really worried so norwegian definitely fits that bill 
um, so it's a Virgin. Virgin uh, very, very quietly grounded its last three A three forty six hundreds this week. Well, and they've 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 not been rolling in the cash for a while now. No, but it, that's one. Just given the Heathrow and a few other things, I wonder what the circumstances would be around Delta pumping some more cash in. That's what I was going to ask: was would, will Delta kind of chip in and, and help? If they're allowed to. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say the they probably can't because they're they're already at their limit, aren't they? I think so. Do you, do you, does Delta buy the? Uh, Flying Club program. I, I mean, I guess that's a possibility, but right. That's what that's what Etihad did with Jet Airways to get around those ownership laws once, and all the U.S. carriers piss, you know got pissy about it. But they did the same, and Etihad did it with Air Berlin for the same reason, and the U.S. carriers got pissy about it. But it would be interesting to see one of the U.S. carriers turn around and play that same game. But we we have good examples of where that tr- strategy hasn't worked. Yes. I just named two of them. Exactly. <laughs> so why would why would someone do that, given that it hasn't worked yet? Desperation. I, I think the argument would be made that they are still transitioning Virgin Atlantic into a stronger player and rebuilding that route network, blah, 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 blah. And it's a very different situation than Air Berlin or Jet Airways that was super overextended in a much more competitive markets. But I would argue that... I don't know it's true, but that's the argument they'll make. I would argue that Virgin Atlantic is much more sensitive to drop-off in business travel, just given their yes. limited route network. Yes. Seth could be a lobbyist for Delta based on that speech you just gave. <laughs> uh, I, I see how much lobbyist gets paid. I, I have a price. <laughs> I, can, I can be sold. Um, I can be bought. So, and I can be sold. <laughs> so what do you think then, um, I mean, talking about fuel prices, you know, the three, four, sixes and stuff. That, so oil has tanked because of separate things going on between Russia and Saudi Arabia and the United States. Uh, loosely associated. Loosely associated. Uh, very loosely. Um, what I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, it's not like people can buy these hedges, right? Like this, it's like it's a great time to buy fuel hedges if someone will sell them to you, right? Sure. I mean, what fuel? I think Hawaiian said they expect fuel to be down one thirty-five a gallon on average for the quarter now, or for the future look quarter. I can't remember which, but some number that was shockingly low relative to the two dollars that they've been expecting. Yes, uh, which is good news. Uh, I mean, your fuel surcharges aren't going to go down. Um, but fuel, fuel surcharges have nothing to do with the cost of fuel. Except in Japan. Except in Japan, yes. They're legally obligated to it. There's actually one country that regulates them. So, you know, is the price of fuel going down enough to help some of these airlines stay afloat or uh, prop them up, uh, give them a better position as the, the economy kind of turns around? Wouldn't that require them to be flying the flights? So at a time when they're reducing the number of flights, the benefit drops substantially as well. I'm just here to ask the questions, man. <laughs> nah, I'm with Foz on that one. By the way, um, speaking of Hawaiian and fuel and whatever and a lot of other things, Foz, did you see uh, Hawaiian had to ground three of its A321 Neos because of Pratt & engine issues I did, in January? I did not, but no surprise. They, uh, they, it's, it's an interesting one. In announcing all of their cuts, they they actually said that they're cutting Haneda – excuse me, they're cutting Incheon. Honolulu Incheon, Incheon, and they're cutting their overnight Haneda flight, which is the one that splits time between Kona or – yeah, Kona and uh, Honolulu. But they expect that capacity won't drop due to operational needs. And that phrasing was very interesting to me, And I, but I didn't look into it when that came out last night. And it turns out that operational needs translates to they've been flying more 330s that weren't going to Asia anymore on routes to the mainland because three of their 321s had engine issues and had to go in for earlier than planned maintenance visits <laughs> in Q1. I was, I was wondering why we saw we were having the 330 back in Portland. Uh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> Surprise! It's a good time to be, to be an yeah. engine company. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think about I don't think about it too much because we don't get them here. But I mean, are we are we reaching a point of a perfect storm for the airline industry between this virus, between all the engine issues and the equipment outages, and the Boeing fiasco? Which, by the way, has taken another turn. I mean, there's there's a lot of pressures on the airlines right now from all different directions. Do we see the market reset now? How do you reset? All right, by losing carriers. Close, close down a bunch? Yeah. Outside the U.S., I think we're going to lose a few. I don't think the U.S. is going to see that. Well, but, okay, so we might not lose some, but do, does the airline, do the U.S. airlines in two years look very different than they are today? Right. For the last few years, the airlines have been fattened pigs, really enjoying the market and really sucking it up and cutting, you know, you know, taking benefits left and right and marginalizing every last bit of profit. But do we see a reset of some of that behavior now? I mean, so that, I mean, it brings up an interesting point because it also asks the question, like with companies putting on travel bans, 
um, you know, a lot of these companies are also putting the travel bans in place because there may not be billable work or there may be uh, financial issues. Will that travel, the work travel, the business travel return quickly enough for uh, profits uh, for the airlines to jump up? I mean, I don't, I don't think the, we're at a point where work has stopped. It's just what I'm seeing, at least in my industry, more and more remote stuff just because the uncertainty, no one wants the risk. It's not that the work has stopped. The work is still there. It's just people are pivoting to be more remote at this point just because of the situation. Yeah, I guess I have a biased take on that because so much of my work is uh, remote now anyways. Right. I, I've been doing with this. I was in New Jersey last week or last month, and I may have a trip to Dallas sometime next month. We'll see if that comes to fruition or not. But I like the IT stuff I've done for so long now has been give me remote access and credentials and I will get your project done. So I, I and I know that's not everything and at all. And I actually prefer the onsite work in some cases. But I don't know. I feel like there's still going to I, I feel like there's always still going to be business travel it's going to be different and for different reasons and different types of things. And I feel like that's a constant evolution. Uh, you know, I was having a discussion online this afternoon and evening about the number of people who spend more than $500 per ticket and inflation adjusted $500 is down 60% from 2001 <laughs> for a one-way fare. Now, part of that is DOT data, which has some flaws in the way it calculates fares. And I have to talk to them about how they're dealing with that. Um, but and part of it is like the the number of people buying to, like is it fewer people buying first class seats is it people buying the decent you know this quote unquote sale price or right price first class seat and actually getting that instead of a horribly overpriced economy seat and hoping for an upgrade I, I don't know but when people say it's as bad for the airlines and I look at all the airlines talking about how, up until earlier you know this year the billions of dollars they were making in the United States it's it's hard for me to feel like the airlines are unhappy with the situation in that context. So I don't know, I, I just, which is all back to the like, will business travel die? No, it's not. It's going to look different, yeah, but yeah. it's happening. Um, you know, just to take a quick break here, uh, we had a, one of the listeners tweet, um, Yusef and a uh, friend of the show, Mr. Jason Rabinowitz, uh, Wilson, Mr. Wilson Calvert sent us a note that says oh, yeah. uh, there's a presumptive case of, of the COVID-19 virus in a Houstonian that returned from Italy via uh, a Lufthansa flight and a United flight uh, on March 3rd. Um, so in business class, so everyone on those flights that was, you know, in business class uh, was potentially exposed. Um, I, I find it interesting that they limited it on the Lufthansa flight since it's just like, you know, coach plus, uh, you know, I would think everybody in the cabin was exposed. Um, so uh, if, but if you did fly on March 3rd, you should uh, on Florence to Frankfurt or Frankfurt to Houston on United 47, uh, you should probably uh, self quarantine. So take a quick break on that. Uh, Exciting. Yeah. Hey, he also like, you know, the, the real interesting question there is why can't those notices be sent to the airlines and then the airlines contact the passengers? Um, so last week, I think it was last Tuesday, there was actually some testimony in front of Congress about that topic. And it was interesting. The airlines suggested that they still don't have all that data mm. because OTAs in particular, travel agents, don't share passenger details of email and phone number. And they can ask for it for emergency use, yep. which one would think this qualifies for, but I don't actually think it does. <laughs> um, it's more like if the plane crashes, who do we call? But they aren't passengers are not obligated to share that. And when you check in for an international flight and ask you to give a contact name and phone number, you don't have to. So there's some interesting context there, but during that testimony, someone, I think it was Joe leader uh, from uh, apex hinted that perhaps if the government told the booking companies that they had to share that data, then it would be easier for the airlines to collect and redistribute that information to health county you know, health officials. Yeah. That seems, that seems, so, seems like a gap, right? In, in, you know, like how, how is it possible that an airline doesn't actually know who was on board and how to contact them six days later? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On the plus side, like, is there finally one place in the world where privacy still exists? <laughs> and ironically, it's on an airplane. <laughs> Not if you buy the Wi-Fi. 
<laughs> Fair point. Um, Actually, that's an interesting question. Could the airline go? Well, I mean, there's not enough people buy Wi-Fi for that to be useful, but the airline clearly could go back and check who bought Wi-Fi and co- at least contact them. Yeah, yeah, right. Even, even if they don't, even if they don't have like they, those people, mostly will have frequent flyer numbers that helps at least on United. But also, I don't know, I feel like those are people that are more likely to book direct, anyways. Yeah. So. I, I have kind of a dumb question for you, Seth. Why did Southwest not speak at this uh, teleconference today? I don't know, but that was a great opportunity for me to take a bathroom break and grab a snack. <laughs> they they had a slot scheduled and dropped out, and I don't know how long ago that decision was made. Interesting. Okay. Um, were you su- were you surprised by how many airlines actually did report um, their their numbers in terms of what they're cutting? Yeah, I mean, ju- I mean, just in kind of this time, you know, United's kind of delayed any projections on revenue and things, right? Yeah, uh, they still are. There's none, none of them are, are reporting revenue targets really. Uh, the closest on that, I think Spirit gave some guidance, but not they're not calling it guidance. They gave some numbers, but they're not calling it guidance. Okay. okay. Um, so, I mean, uh, question for you guys. Would you, are you still traveling? If I was tried. I tried. I did. Well, I did travel. It just didn't go where I was intending to go. And and Seth, would you, would you fly if the fare was right and you needed to go somewhere? It's not a fair thing for me right now. Um, if work says I need to be somewhere and I can't talk them out of it just on general principle, then yes, I will. Um, I am more a believer in the context in the concept of trying to help prevent the spread, not because I not traveling. I'm not saying I don't want to travel because I think I will get sick and have problems. But uh, the more that people move more frequently through different places, the faster a disease can spread. Mm. There, there's a reason they do isolation and quarantine and things like that. And we know it's happening in the United States. We don't know how much yet because the government has not managed to produce test kits or get their heads out of their asses enough to report the statistics properly. But we know it's in the United States. I mean, there's t- something around 20 odd cases from a single conference in Boston uh, the other uh, last week or the week before that now these people all have it. So it's not far from me. Uh, and I don't need to be part of continuing that spread if I can avoid it. Yeah. 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 I think there's a, I think there's some general arguments out there that people are saying, Oh, well, this is a great time to travel. I'm not scared. Uh, I'm not scared either, but um, you know, knowing that I could be carrying it, you know, in some way is a worrisome thing. And I think, you know, I have to travel for work um, and I've been told that I'm, uh, I hate this word essential. Um, so oh, that's tough. yeah, I, I don't think, I don't feel essential, um, but uh <laughs> I'm essentially come with a peppermint scent in the oils or (laughs) yeah, something like that. So, you know, I, I am on planes. I am just cognizant of the fact that, you know, I'm exposed to a lot of people who who could have this. Um, So I, I was intrigued by a flight attendant friend of mine who has traveled to Japan a few times in the last month. And now was, you know, had a two week break off after he did his trips for the month or whatever, and was planning on doing a bunch of work for his mother, some repairs around the house kind of thing. And he's, relatively older. She's in her Mm eighties and she is somewhat uh, compromised uh, from a lung capacity situation. And based on guidance from local health officials, he can't go and he can't go see his mother for two weeks. Yeah. Just to be safe. Right. Yeah. And he he acknowledges like, I I would be a fool to, to risk compromising her in this way. And also like, you know, it's, but that's what they're saying. So he can't go do this work he's supposed to do for his mom. And I don't, and again, not critical. And if it was, I'm sure he'd find someone else to do it for him or for her. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that what speaks to this being bigger is you. we are now seeing a lot of cases pop up um, with people who didn't travel, who haven't been exposed to those who travel um, and, and have this. So it's you know, there, there are people walking around who think they have a bad cough uh, that have this and are giving it to other people. So, uh, you know, that, that's that's the state we're in. <laughs> Well, we also have people at the other end of the spectrum who think they're taking all these precautions, but they really aren't. Right. Oh, doing it super badly. Yeah, like you know, Purell's not going to kill a virus, right? It's more bacterial that it attacks. But I had a guy yesterday who Purelled his silverware and his diet coke before he drank. I'm like, you're not supposed to consume this. <laughs> read, read Minor the detail. label. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know what I would even say. <laughs> I just uh, like he gets on with the mask, puts on latex gloves, breaks out Clorox. I don't know how he got Clorox through security for one, but he brings wipes or like a jug of it, like not a jug, but a bottle of Clorox, not wipes, okay. actual Clorox. Proceeds to wipe everything down, nauseating everyone around him. Because you know when you're sitting at the gate, there's a lot of airflow. 
And then, and then he d- does a Purell thing. And then the best part of it all is he got the cold meal. So even if there was something that was like at least a warm meal, there's a hope something's going to die if there's in it. But he gets a cold salad. Like, <laughs> why bother? Why even eat at that point? Oh, <laughs> yeah. There's also the the irony, as you said, that the airplane part of air travel is going to have the best air quality. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's not good air, but it's at least filtered best. Yes. Agreed. So, so there's that. Yeah. Uh, what else did we have to talk about? Uh, let's see here. Um, did you know that BA's 787-10s don't have bunks in them? Like crew rest? Yeah. Are they not going to fly them anywhere long enough to need it? Apparently. I'm, no bunks. I mean, this is from a pilot on BA on Twitter. Sadly, no seven, no bunks in our 787-10 aircraft. This limits them to medium range. Huh. I am shocked by that. You refer to pilot bunks, not flight attendant. Flight attendant. So but the flight—I feel like the flight attendant bunk. Right, so the pilot bunks are the ones that are usually limiting. I mean, I guess they could block a business class seat. But, I mean, but if you think about it, where is BA flying those? Right, Just, I think Middle East and some of the U.S. routes, but nothing, definitely not West Coast. Sure, and the the U.S. routes on BA are super weird in terms of their crew rest scheduling. They do, I think, they can do three pilots without a bunk, but not four for some of the East Coast stuff. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's something weird about the way they're set up. But yeah, huh. anyway. That was, I thought, just a weird and weird little bit of information that came up. I, I know they're expensive and heavy and whatever to carry, but it seems super surprising to me, to me not to bring, uh, not to put bunks on a seven eight seven for a carrier, given its physical location and how they fly. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, like is the future hope for BA seven eighty sevens to be kind of the New York Boston heavy? Well, it sounds like more like Middle East, which is interesting because I don't think do they have a first class cabin. The dash tens, I don't think do. Yeah, I mean, also it's a little weird that they do that. I guess if you put a bunk on them, could you do a three pilot thing and round trip as opposed to having the pilots overnight? But I bet the union would be pretty upset about that. So yeah, yeah. what do I know? Yeah, um, fly, and, and and we kind of covered this before, but Fly B is officially bankrupt and gone in administration, yeah. as they call it in the UK. Uh, the interesting part about the actually, I have another UK thing I want to talk about. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, the interesting thing about the Fly B thing to me is that it. Uh, was sitting on a dozen slots at Heathrow that have now returned to British Airways. Huh. How did they get returned to British Airways? Because they were remedy slots that British Airways was required to lease slash give to a competitor willing to operate domestic services. And that's what Flybe was, was doing. So they don't have to go to another... Well, in, it's unclear if, a, if the regulators will require them to go to a different and new uh, rele- uh, remedy carrier. And remedy is basically is a remedy for allowing a merger or other commercial transaction. In this case, it was tied to BMI being purchased by British Airways back in the day, British Midlands. So again, making sure that there's domestic competition that BMI had previously been providing. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. The real question I raised, and so you know, we all know that JetBlue has been trying to get Heathrow slots um, and not having much luck of getting them for free, certainly. And then could it could these slots go to JetBlue. And as originally written, the answer is no, because JetBlue is not going to operate domestic flights within the United Kingdom on them. But, and JetBlue doesn't have a plane that they could start running them this summer with, even if they wanted to. Uh, but the counterpoint that I could easily see JetBlue making is multiple different airlines have tried to run domestic flights within the United Kingdom. It doesn't work. They're never going to be profitable. Those airlines should connect, those cities should connect elsewhere in Europe or around the globe. And you should allow more nonstop competition at Heathrow to actually bring competition to Heathrow and help reduce prices and improve service for passengers. Hmm. Could they do Boston Belfast Heathrow? <laughs> I mean, sh- sure, but no one actually would fly that. Certainly not at the price points that they want. It's not quite the BA1 uh, or Speedbird 1 out of London City. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the 7810s do have first. Okay, so that means they're still fine for the Middle East. Um, the other thing I want to talk about the UK is actually twofold. One is the slots thing that we were just talking about. Um, with all of the cuts going on, one of the biggest challenges for the airlines has been there are roughly 200 airports globally that are slot restricted or slot controlled. Mm. They're called level level three uh, slot constraints by the IATA definition. And those when those slots are allocated, if you do not use the 80% of the time, the airline forfeits the slot for next season. And obviously, given the cuts that have been announced and the cuts that are desired and the drop in demand, airlines wanted to reduce those slot requirements. Uh, more than 100 of them, more than half are in Europe. Hmm. So 
even American in its announcement this morning said, we're cutting all this stuff and that's pending getting more details from slot authorities. If they give us relief on the slot rules, we will cut more. It sounds like today that the European Parliament will uh, reasonably quickly introduce, debate and approve a bill that allows that suspension to occur. Well, I mean, at least they don't have to abide to the rule in Italy. Right. So, well, presumably those local authorities are suspending. Local authorities have been suspending the rules all along. Right? Chinese authorities in Shanghai and Beijing suspended it because no one could operate there. Uh, Hong Kong did the same thing in Hong Kong, but it's been on a shorter term basis. Hong Kong only just agreed to, yesterday or today to allow all uh, airlines to have the suspension valid through the full summer season. Totally so, October. Yeah, through the through October twenty fifth, which is when the season switches again. Um, from March twenty ninth to October twenty fifth is the next cycle. So, and the summer slots are generally considered more valuable than the winter slots. Northern summer, so uh, worth worth thinking about, worth understanding. That's just an interesting situation with how that's going to play out. It's unclear if it'll be just through the first half of the summer or the full summer for the European thing, and it's not finally fully approved yet. But it is coming. But this is the. It's the irony to me in many ways is the airlines made the argument of you want us to be eco-friendly, but now you're forcing us to operate ghost flights to keep our operations mm. because they're, they said, they all said they'd fly them empty rather than give up their slots because they are taking the longer term view of the markets. Um, so anyway, that's happening. But the other fun UK thing that I want to bring up is the UK has announced it will leave EASA, hmm. which is the European, it's an acronym that's European something, Aviation Safety Association, Administration, whatever. It's the FAA of Europe. In many ways, they handle aircraft certifications and safety rules and all that sort of stuff. And the UK had been a participant and now has said, F that we're our own country. We're leaving the EU and we're taking our safety and aviation certifications with us, Um, which is to say they've always had the CAA, uh, Civil Aviation Authority or Aeronautical, whatever. Um, They've had the CAA and they're going to it's always existed. But now it's going to run its own set of rules, its own certifications. It will not subscribe to the EASA rule set anymore so does this increase tension between the continent and rolls royce yes and all of the airlines and licensing pilot licensing uh pilot training schools on the in the uk now right typically you had your license and it was right you had reciprocity because it was part of the asset it was valid everywhere and now it's not Right, <laughs> and so, so all the schools have to decide: are they going to run a? U- and who knows what the curriculum will actually be? Right, will it be any different? I don't know. The truth is, it may just be you literally sign an extra piece of paper, or take an extra copy of a test, but it also could be some differences. And so, how that all gets negotiated? It's just it's interesting that it's one more thing that all now has to be negotiated. But the aircraft certification, especially, is going to be a really interesting one in terms of a they've got to build up that functionality, that capacity again because it's not something that they do regularly today. And at some point they're going to need to do it again. And then by the end of the year, in theory, can you build something like that up so quickly? It's going to be real interesting to try. Hmm. Um, one last UK thing. Uh, isn't, isn't the new crossrail now open between uh, Heathrow to basically the East side, or is that still not open? Still not open. It's, it's delayed. But what they did was uh, sometime last year, Heathrow connect disappeared and became a TFL rail. So you can now use your Oyster card out of Heathrow, uh, but the trains still only run every thirty minutes. Crossrail got delayed. Okay, I mean that's coming, right? That's it's supposed to be pretty soon. You'll be able to go all the way to Shinfield. Yeah, I mean it's it's great if you're going to Central London because it goes um, right down um, Oxford Where? Street where, where all the hotels and stuff are in that area. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering. I had, I had watched a, a video about it. I was I was wasn't sure. I was trying to find info, information on it. And the only thing I could find was that it was supposed to open. In late 2019, it will still open before um, Ber- uh, the Berlin Airport. Hey, hey, that's oh. let's not get crazy, all right? I wanted, I was going to ask Luf- you guys. Lufty updated the schedules; they're betting on it. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys. You guys want to meet in Berlin and be there for the opening? I'm not doing anything in 2022. I should be fine. Will <laughs> <laughs> well, the fire alarms be working? Um, just since we fit, let's finish this. But finishing on London because. Uh, we've been talking about it a lot lately. Uh, the on again, off again Heathrow Express upgrade for Starlines Gold members is back. Um, if you have a Starlines Gold status with any of the twenty whatever carriers that it uh, programs, and you buy a regular ticket on the Heathrow Express, you are allowed to sit in first class if, and just show your regular ticket and your gold card to the conductor. Huh. 
if you're if you if you are of the type that thinks the Heathrow Express is a good deal or useful to you directionally, uh, this is a, a way to make it slightly more comfortable for those with gold stats. Ex- if you can plan your express trip two weeks out or more, it's actually not much more than anything else. So the, the, they really just get you for the walk up. So if you know you're going to be there, buy your ticket ahead of time, and it's actually not that much more than a, any other way of getting to central London. No, you're going to be there. In ter- is it? Uh, are they not? Tra- are they train specific or is it just day specific? I believe it's day specific. Okay, so that's not terrible. No. Um, but so if it's train specific, that would be yeah, hard no, delays and stuff. Yeah, you, you can't find every fifteen minutes. How do you pick a train? <laughs> um, but before, I mean, since we're talking about Heathrow so much, there's going to be another Heathrow Perth flight. From, oh, that's right. Is it BA talking or BA? Yeah, talking about? yeah so it's part of the Qantas cuts, and I alluded to it earlier. They're grounding a bunch of their three eighties. Uh, the Singapore BA one BA, or excuse me, QF one and two that go via Singapore, the, the proper kangaroo hop. Uh, are they're grounding the 380s or most of the 380s and switching that flight to a 787, which reduces it by 250 seats, or more than half, and they're going to route it over Perth because that's where there's demand. Wow! So they're going to do a double daily now on Perth Heathrow, and I don't know what the timing offsets are going to be, but they're definitely doing it. Um, and as a result, they're closing the first class lounge in Singapore because Singapore will no longer have a plane with first class seats on it. <laughs> So April 20 is when that goes away, through September, I think. I didn't even know they had a first-class lounge in Singapore. Yeah, it's apparently pretty nice. And and Foz and I are supposed to do Chicago-Brisbane in April. Uh, that's uh, delayed indefinitely. Uh, no, six, uh, months. six months. Six months. <laughs> it's, it does have a new date. It's not indefinite. It does have a new date. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people seeing things switch. Yeah, I guess I should go look at my reservation for that. <laughs> see, see what they did. Yeah. I, 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 the only thing I'll say is for people not flying immediately – like don't don't be the person who need to uh, that it needs to have everything fixed the first day. If you've got time, it's okay. Well, and and, and isn't it fluid enough? Like you know, something in April that we know is going to be moved to October. Well, you know, it could change even more. So just wait. And you're not the yeah. urgent case. If you only get one free, if you only get one free change, don't lock it in. Yeah, wait, wait, see what this does, and uh, then call. Yeah, I've got a I've had a friend who's been. His parents are trying to go, or were scheduled to do a Cape Town, Singapore trip um, from the U.S. It's a nice vacation, uh, and kept it, but didn't want to go now and trying to figure out the details. Uh, and I kept saying, well, you know, it'll probably get better. It'll probably get better. Wait until you have to actually make a decision. And slowly but surely, the rules have loosened. And now it's, you know, book anytime we waive the change fees, not only new bookings and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Good call. Well, guys, I think that's a, a show for, for the cuts. Bye. Yeah. Um, so until next time, listeners, you can find us on Twitter at dots lines or dots one lines.com. Leave a message, uh, leave a tweet. We'd love to hear, you know, kind of what you're seeing in your travels. Uh, so let us know. Uh, until next time, happy travels. Bye bye.